All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Welcome into the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. This is season four. Episode 16. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I am one of your co-hosts. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, my good buddy, the coolest guy I know, the best brewer in town, Mr. Thomas Bowen. Bowen, we've had our Christmas break. How was Christmas? Was Santa good to you? Man, we did it. We did it. I can't believe it. Uh was little, you know, felt like I was going into the playoffs here. Little anxiety leading into my first holiday with a a toddler that knows a hell of a lot more about what's going on now than she did last year. So it was stressful. It was lack of sleep. And it was a, a, a wild underestimation of the time it would take me to put together toys. Yeah, I feel you on all of that. Um, wait, wait till she's just a little bit older and the whole elf on a shelf thing happens <laughs> and you got to think all that through and it's a lot, man. It's a lot, but it's great. Love, love seeing it. Um, got to see family. You know, it's a good time um, around here, around these parts. Thomas, I saw you, uh, you did a whole hog, whole hog barbecue uh, with your fam. How'd that turn out? Yeah, man, it was great. And I'll tell you what was so great about it. So so we started doing this a few years ago at my in-law's house. Uh, I like to cook. They like to eat. And we decided to throw up a cinder block pit to do some some good old um, southern PD region whole hog barbecue. And for the first time, I got to take advantage of the great deal that we've been giving our listeners all year long. So I'm going out out into the boonies to, to the to the hog farm to, to pick up my, my slaughtered pig here needed some ice had to keep this thing cold for 24 hours before we got out there to cook it so i said you know we've been we've been talking about twice the ice i may as well take advantage of it here let's, right. let's practice practice what we preach right man it was so convenient uh, i found i found a place right on the way to to the butcher out there took my big cooler I decided to try it out. You go right up to the machine, just like we've been saying all season. You text a number on there. No kidding. In five minutes, I heard the bag filling up, dropped out the chute, didn't cost me a single dime. Super convenient. And the ice is fantastic. Comes in these convenient bags. You can tie up. You can dump them directly into your cooler. It's just so much. And, and of course, I bought more. Much, much more ice. But still, I, I must have gotten 80 pounds of ice for about 10 bucks there and that is way better than you can do at a convenience store they keep going up they're solid blocks of ice they suck these twice the ice machines are fantastic machines are conveniently located around the columbia area including shape and irmo st andrews west columbia downtown eastover and we've got a good deal for you just like i used the other day and i can tell you firsthand it works phenomenally when you're standing at the machine you're going to see a yellow phone number right there on the chute text the word average to that number super easy super convenient less than 10 seconds you're going to have a bag of ice popping out and you're good to go you can find participating locations at tticlub.com slash lake murray ice try it out for your next party or hey we got new year's coming up you're going to need to keep those drinks cold check it out 
Absolutely, man. Great that you uh, practice what we preach there. I haven't had that opportunity quite yet. Looking forward to doing it, but it is a heck of a deal. We appreciate our sponsors at Twice the Ice for helping us out with that. Thomas, uh, just to tell folks that maybe you're brand new. They stumbled upon this show over that weird period of the five days between Christmas and New Year's, um, not knowing what to do with their lives and said, hey, let's find out about some college football. Uh, we are the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast because Thomas and I both played the game of football, coached the game of football, love the game of football, obsess about it, research it, and just really enjoy talking about it. Also, we are huge University of South Carolina Gamecock football fans, all athletics of the University of South Carolina, to be honest, but we focus here on football. Both of us are alumni of the university. So we will start our show today by talking about the Gamecocks and the success they've had in the transfer portal and keeping their 2024 recruiting class together, quite honestly, despite a 5-7 and seven season. And then we will jump into a topic that will interest folks outside of Gamecock Nation, and that is the college football playoff preview. And I'm sure we'll touch on a few other things along the way. Thomas, like I said, we're going to start off. Thomas, where, before we dive deep into this, you know, South Carolina's transfer portal, transfer, that's easy for me to say, transfer <laughs> portal success and, and really holding on to their recruiting class, to me, before we even talk about who they individually got, is pretty impressive considering the season they had. And what's your take on that? What do you, what, what's your takeaway from that? Is that, am I overselling the impressiveness of keeping keeping that recruiting class together and getting transfers. No, I, I don't. I don't think you're ever selling it at all. And in fact, I think not that we have a massive sample size because he hasn't been here forever. But I think this is uh, one of, if not the best, uh, recruiting job that Shane Beamer has done since he's been at South Carolina. You, uh, <clears throat> you know, not not to throw out the cliched coach speak, but uh, filled a lot of needs, filled a lot of holes, you know, things like that. But it's true. We we talked about this the other week. We needed offensive linemen. We needed defensive linemen. We needed depth. We needed defensive backs. We got those things, and we got quality players. I also think that South Carolina did a fantastic job of going down to the lower levels and pulling some of those diamonds in the rough like we did Mario Anderson. See you later, buddy. We'll talk about that later. But we're going to touch on it. You know, a guy from SC State, a guy from North Texas, these are not – marquee power five programs but i think the staff has kind of carved out a little bit of a niche in finding some of these diamonds in the rough and and really developing them i agree with you and i think i think you just hit on a topic that that's really kind of forefront on in my mind right now uh eric kimry who we've had on the show former gamecock quarterback uh coach and Heyman coach and and doing a great job at baylor school you know, he he posed these questions on Facebook today just to have a conversation about NIL and the transfer rules. And Thomas, it's everybody's a free agent and everybody who's not a have. And when I say a have, that's your Bama's, your Georgia's, your Alabama's, your Oklahoma's, your Texas's, your Michigan's, your Ohio State's. They are they have to fear getting raided. And even those haves have to fear getting raided. And have players just decide, hey, I'd rather leave and go see if I can make some more money somewhere else. But what South Carolina's, I think, smartly done, you just did a great job of explaining it, we're le reaching down below us and say, when I say below us, that's not to be demeaning, but divisionally speaking, going to South Carolina State, going to North Texas and getting a, getting guys that we think can be high quality, along with getting some some stars at the SEC level as well. How do you... 
How do you feel about that, Thomas? It's just, I've gone back and forth about it. <laughs> it's just, it's so different. I think that's just what it is. It's so different than what we're used to. I think I think what's so smart about it is is this staff has done a really good job of of realizing and owning the fact that we we can't go toe to toe with the Georgias and the Tennessees and and quite frankly the UNCs. There's a lot of talent in Georgia, the state of Georgia. There's a lot of talent in the state of North Carolina, but outside of transfer portal, you're talking about high school recruiting. This staff made a conscious effort from very early on to jump directly over North Carolina and go to that DMV area, that DC, Maryland, Virginia area, and has pulled a ton of recruits out there. So it's, it's a little bit of a different sort of not novel, but a little bit of an innovative approach because, you know, know your place in this league. You can't bang your head against the wall going against these blue bloods that are right next door to you. So go outside of your comfort zone. And so I think they've, they've taken that same philosophy into the transfer portal and it's starting to pay dividends. I totally agree with you. Now to switch gears just a little bit, we've mentioned lightly here, South Carolina state running back. Is it Jawan Jawan Howell? Howell? Jawan Jawan Howell. He's coming from South Carolina state has a really good tape. When you look at it, very good football player. And out of North Texas, you have Oscar Attaway the third coming to see coming to be in the Garnet and Black. I'm super excited about him. I always like an athletic guy that seems shifty and quick. But Thomas, if you had to call it a crown jewel of this transfer group, they didn't reach down to the lower divisions. They reached right across the the now dysfunct conference and divisions and said, "Hey." Rocket Sanders, would you like to come play football at the University of South Carolina? And boy, he said yes. And I mean, wow, that's a get. It's a huge get. Um, And the thing about Rocket Sanders is because you're talking about a guy who has legitimate SEC experience. Yeah, you're going to talk to some Arkansas fans and they're going to be like, well, he didn't have a great year this year. Well, you know what? If there was anybody in the SEC that had an offensive line worse than South Carolina's, it might have been Arkansas. That's so right. he's playing behind uh, a piss-poor offensive line. He's got legitimate SEC experience. He's on almost 250 pounds. He could probably shed a couple of those, but he's a big back. He's shifty. I mean, 2022, obviously his best year, he had almost 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns good pass yardage. I mean, he he is one hell of an upgrade at running back. Now, we still need depth behind him, and which is all the more reason I wanted to keep Mario Anderson because if you and I have talked about before, I am a big, big fan of a one-two punch at running back. It gives you fresh legs in there. A lot of the big boys do it now. It's not a novel approach. You just got to have the depth to do it. So we need that depth, but it is a hell of a starting point. Absolutely agree with you there, and I agree with you, and and I, I read some other folks who said he may have put on a little bit too much weight. I do think he also like twisted an ankle or had a, one of those nagging situations yeah. that hurt him in 2023, not to mention, as you said, if, if there was a worse offensive line in the SEC than South Carolina's, which is hard to believe there was, it was Arkansas's, and so he's, you know, he you can't put all that on him, but that's an exciting get. Exciting get another group that took a, got a good boost here, Thomas. Out of this portal was our defensive line group. The De, uh, DeAndre Jules from Pitt comes over to the Gamecocks. Kyle Kennard, a good edge from Georgia Tech, comes over. 
those are exciting guys. You know, we've kept guys through NIL and guys staying in, you know, Tonka and those and those guys. You talk about depth in the running back room. I believe you need depth on that defensive line just as 100%. much. And so these are quality guys. These aren't – I'm not saying these guys couldn't fight for starting positions because maybe they can, particularly Gennard at the edge spot where, where Carolina's a little light at the moment. But that's that's two great gets. And I didn't even mention – didn't dive deep into our DB group that we got and some good wide receiver situations, you know, and, and it's just – it's again, I, I sit back and go, wow, that's impressive. That is an impressive situation. Um, and I'm, you know, you got to look at that and go, good, good job on you, uh, Shane Beamer and staff. And, you know, say what you want to say, but they did a good job there. And Thomas, they kept together this, this class, this 2024 typical recruiting class that ranked 20th in the country, two five stars. Now, South, it's been a minute since South Carolina's had that many five stars, Thomas, and in one class. Dylan Stewart and is it uh, Thompson from Dylan? Is it uh, uh, Josiah? I think it's Josiah yeah. Thompson from Dylan. You have offensive tackle, another position South Carolina really, really needs. Of course, you've got Reno in there. Mazon um, Bennett from from um, Greenville, South Carolina, a great in-state get. Um, D, um, Deontay Reno, a uh, great quarterback to get there. And it just continues. South Carolina did a really good job. And Thomas, this this sounds kind of crazy to be celebrating this, but South Carolina got a heck of a good kicker slash punter in Mason Love, which we we do kind of need. Um, we do kind of need that young man with the stuff we've had. Speaking a little more to our transfers, Brady Hunt, a, 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 a tight end for from Ball State was another great get there. Just guys that you, you got to be excited about to bring into the program. Thomas, again, I, I don't want to overstate it, but you got to say getting players to stay with you after a five and seven season, particularly with this world of NIL. Again, am I overselling the success of this coaching staff? No, I, I don't think you are because, and it's not just. <clears throat> It's not just what they were able to pull in, what they were able. <clears throat> I look also more at what they were able to keep intact or in the early days, you know, before the transfer portal even officially opened when it, all the rumor mills are swirling and it was we were going to lose O'Donnell Fortune. We were going to lose T.J. Sanders and Taka Hemingway. Nick Imanwari was thinking about leaving and and so on and so forth. And this and. And this whole defense that I was very excited to come back and have all of this returning talent started to get worried that, well, hell, it's got to get gutted. It's going to get gutted. They were able to hold on to those guys, particularly, I think, probably the three biggest ones, in my opinion, that they were able to hang on to on the defensive side, T.J. Sanders and Taka Hemingway in the trenches, and then Nicky Imanwari, especially with how Nicky Imanwari has finished the year getting really comfortable in that slot position covering those guys, I think those were three huge gets to, to hang on into the program. Thomas, I'm just over here on the 247 Sports recruiting page and pulled up their composite all-time uh, top 10, if you will, players from South Carolina recruiting, number one obviously being Jadavion Clowney. But when you look at the list here, at number six overall for Gamecocks, you know, since they've been doing these, these rankings, you have Edge, Dylan Stewart coming in this year. You have last year's Nick Harbor 
at number eight. You have Josiah Thompson, number nine. So these are players, when you look at success South Carolina had it, I mentioned at number one, Jadavion Clowney, the, the 2011 class. At number three, they have Marcus Lattimore, the 2010 class. So when you think about cornerstone players and what we were able to do in that regard during those times, this is how it starts, stacking those guys, stacking those players. You can't just have one. This isn't basketball where you can have one to two great players and be and be phenomenal. Even in college basketball, you really have one. I think about what Carmelo Anthony did when he was at Syracuse. No offense to the other four guys that played for Syracuse that year, but it was Carmelo and everybody else, and they won the national championship. You can't do that in football. There's too many needs. So to start stacking top players like that, on the same roster with experienced transfers coming in like Rocket Sanders, it bodes well. It bodes well for the future. And I believe, and so many people believe, Lenoris Sellers, it's still the 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 wow factor, the the potential factor. We haven't seen it regularly yet. I wish like heck South Carolina would have been one of those five and seven teams to sneak into one of those kind of rough bowl games because you gotta think Spencer Radler would have said, hey, I'm gonna sit this one out. And I would have loved for Lenore's to get game time experience. That offensive line would have been spotty to say the least, but I'd have just like to get him out there. But we will get to that point and and it is going to be a good thing. And Thomas, I've said this to you a couple of times with players. I think the thing you have to really get into is the fact that in this new world of NIL and transfer portal stuff, you just got to stack as many players as you can. It used yep. to be, you know, you tried to get one, maybe two top players at a position because then the question becomes, well, only one guy can play quarterback or only two guys, three guys can play wide receiver regularly. If you start building all this, they're going to get up frustrated. There's going to be issues. They're going to transfer. Not anymore. You got to get as many guys in there as you can. You got to stack those assets. So people were freaking out when South Carolina had the Texas backup quarterback coming in to, to, to look at transferring in and things like that saying, well, do we think Lenoris can't do it? Or, you know, is Lenoris thinking about leaving? I think it's smart. You get as many assets in the door as you can, because they can leave in a year. You don't know. Yep. You have yep. no idea. Let's say Lenoris has a phenomenal season next season and the Alabamas or Ohio States, you know, there were reports that Ohio state, they were somebody, a group, one of their collectives, whatever, was offering Mar Marvin Harrison Jr. $20 million that's to insane. back to school because that's what he could have made in the NFL his first year. That's Ridiculous. how much money they were willing to commit. We can't compete with that. We nah. can't compete with that. And so that's what I'm saying. you got to have as many guys as humanly possible to, to, to do what you need to do. All right. Let's jump into the meat of the bones, if you will, and, and let's talk about college football playoffs. Thomas, before we jump into this, am I crazy, or is it is this the first year since this has existed they're doing these on New Year's Day? Didn't they used to do these on New Year's Eve? No, you're right, and it's funny because I was talking to my brother uh, about this last night because I was I was bitching that it, the, the Texas-Washington game doesn't right. kick off till 845, and I was like, oh, it's a school night, got to go back to work the next day. And he had actually just realized that because he was all excited. He was like, all right, it's on. And he had talked to his wife and he was like, no, we're not going anywhere for New Year's Eve. Like we're staying home watching these games. Well, I think and I think it's because 
because New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday and, and you know, NFL is king and they they run Sunday. But as yeah. my brother said, the NCAA should just sack up and say, no, we're playing these games. Like, look, you're still going to get your core audience. You're not going to sure. have guys like, well, I would rather watch, you know, the one or the two and 12 Panthers play the whoever sisters of the right. four they're playing. Right. College football fans are still going to watch these games. Absolutely. And play them on Saturday if you want to exactly. take it Play yeah. them on Saturday. That's your traditional. That's your day. That's college football day. Play it on Saturday. I mean, so I mean, let's be honest. Why does it make sense to have it on New Year's Eve? People want to go out to New Year's Eve. Well, I mean, younger people than you and I want to go yeah. out to Chris, to New Year's Eve parties. Have it on Saturday. That's the what is that? The thirtieth. No one's got big plans on the thirtieth. So you know, do it then. I it blows my mind because I had a similar situation. I'm going down to visit my sister um to, for new year's eve and I, our whole plan was oh we're going to watch the games and we're going to you know do this that and the other and I, we called each other yesterday i said those games are on new year's day and it blew my mind i wasn't even ready for it all right yeah so kicking off at 5 p.m on new year's day at the rose bowl it's alabama crimson tide taking on the michigan wolverines thomas this line has dropped and dropped and dropped is my understanding and the last i saw last night when i was making our show notes was michigan favored by one and a half points you got anything different than that i just looked uh just because my quickest point of reference is on espn and i don't know what book they pull from but they've got michigan minus two Okay, and it could have been – I saw where it was jumping all kinds of around. So it could have jumped back up, um, yeah. you know, to 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 that. So, all right, Thomas, I have jokingly here, how good is Michigan now they can't steal signs? But that brings me to a point – I'm not even going to go through that dad joke. In some of the college games last uh, last night, actually, bowl games, they're experimenting with putting headsets in quarterbacks – uh, uh, quarterback's helmets like they do in the NFL, and I'm sure they Love can do it. It with middle linebackers on defense like they do in the NFL. So that seems like the easy fix to this. We think we have a quote-unquote sign-stealing problem in college football. Get rid of the need for signs. <clears throat> just go directly. And I love the idea of letting it, you know, just like in college basketball, the shot clock's a little bit longer than pro basketball. You know, in the NFL, they cut off the mic in the quarterback's helmet at a certain point on the play clock. So if they're cutting that off, you know, let's say they get, let's say they get, you know, a little bit more time. If it's at the five minute, five second mark in NFL, maybe they are 10 second mark. Maybe they get it to a five second mark in college. Thomas, what are your thoughts on putting these things in, putting microphones, I should say, into quarterbacks helmets? Yeah, I'm. I think it's a phenomenal idea. And I think they should have been doing it for a long time. And I hear people make the argument about how, well, it's not as easy as just, you know, flipping a switch and giving it to all the teams and then talk about the cost of it. And, and it appears, based on my very, very brief non-scientific research, it, it's about $1,600 per helmet. So you think in $5 million, which is peanuts compared to what the college football landscape brings in on an annual basis for five million dollars they could supply every fbs and fcs team with 12 helmets like there, there's no reason you should do that and you know what hey if the ncaa or the power fives or whoever doesn't want to pay for it you want to punish michigan find them five million dollars and make michigan pay for it exactly there you go i love that idea. i mean and and i've even heard also from somebody <laughs> allegedly on Reddit who who works in this industry and talked about how, you know, well, there's just, you know, one or two companies that that do this, uh, that do this technology and 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 create this equipment and they wouldn't have the bandwidth 
to supply all these teams all at once. And, and I call bullshit on that. I call yeah. bullshit on that because, look, it's not a, a novel technology. It's not some top secret patented code and technology. I feel like there's myriad companies out there that could come to market with this kind of stuff very quickly and make it work. So there's no reason that it shouldn't be done. I'm very glad that they piloted it, for lack of a better term, in some bowl games, and I hope that this becomes the norm moving forward. Well, and also it it prepares these guys for college football. If I'm yeah. a if I'm a quarterback, NFL. It, sorry, NFL. My bad. If I'm a quarterback in college, getting ready to go play in the NFL, learning how to get used. To, I mean, think about how weird that would be. Imagine if we got a call today and they said, "Hey, Thomas, Andrew, we've been listening to your podcast. We really enjoy what you guys do. We want you to call the Michigan." Alabama game so then we're going to have a producer in our ear during that broadcast telling us how to do things that would not exactly go well without any preparation so for a college quarterback and college middle linebacker to get ready that that just helps and Thomas you said that would break down the way you broke it down there was 12 per team yeah at at five million dollars you could even do half that I mean yeah you don't need 12 three on offense three on defense you know like you know, you have your three quarterbacks that are ready or two quarterbacks and an emergency helmet and one breaks and then same on defense because it's only one player per side. You know, it's usually the Mike linebacker and it's the it's the uh, quarterback. So, you know, you don't need that. But I think it's doable. I think like like you said, the idea that they can't pull it off is from technology standpoint, it's absurd. Um, so that's just absurd. But let's get back to football. Alabama, Michigan, Thomas. The real question here is, what is Jalen Milrow going to do in this game? Which Jalen Milrow is going to stand up and play in this game? He has been the linchpin for Alabama, you know, early on in their game against Texas, the only game they lost all season. He threw two interceptions, and it it really hurt him. And he didn't completed less than 50% of his passes. He was sacked five times in that game against Georgia in the win, even though they got a win there against Georgia in the SEC championship, he was right at 56% completion rate. Didn't exactly light the world on fire. Thomas, do you see his production, his play as a big part of the success of Alabama here if they can beat the Wolverines? Absolutely. I, I think this game really, when you look at it, it comes down to whether Michigan can make Jalen Milrow one-dimensional or not uh, on on the defensive side for Michigan. And, of course, that is easier said than done, particularly with the way that Milrow has played the the latter, the last two-thirds half of the season. I, I do think that defensively Michigan is is really good. They will cause Alabama some issues. I think they could get a turnover or two. But the, the thing with this game is – like anybody that plays Alabama, honestly, if it's a grinded out smash mouth type of game, I think that the major difference will be Alabama's ability to create explosive plays and get them into field goal range because Alabama makes their money on long runs, downfield shots. And Michigan, while they may be as prepared as anyone to come to combat that in a game that that could come down to field position and taking the points two to three big big gains of 25 plus yards can really crush a team and take a lot of momentum out of them yeah totally agree with you absolutely 100 percent with that now thomas here's something that you don't often say during the nick saban era of alabama and it's why we've said 
so many times that this may be his best coaching job to have this team in the playoffs. And if they were to win this whole thing, winning a national championship, this is not a great Alabama offensive line. You mentioned Michigan's defense being very good. Alabama's offensive line gave up 38 sacks this season. I didn't take the time to look it up, but I got to say that's got to be one of the highest of the last decade and a half that he has been there. Also, again, this has got to be a rarity during the Nick Saban era at Alabama. They didn't have a thousand yard rusher. They did not wow. have a guy rush for a thousand that. yards. That's amazing to me. Now they had a, you know enough guys combined to you know run the ball, but no no one thousand yard rusher. That's that's an unusual thing for Alabama. So you know, it's it's a different Alabama team. You have the offensive coordinator Tommy Reese who came over from Notre Dame. You know he took some heat during the season. It was you know for the last several years it's been a, a, a switch one out, put one in type situation. In Alabama you had Lane Kiffin, yeah, or I guess it would be before that was it? No, it was Kiffin then Stark. Then O'Brien came back and now Reese and, you know, the other three kind of just kept kept the train rolling and Reese has hit road bumps. And, you know, this offensive line has not been again. This is a, a top recruited. I'm sure if I went and looked up their recruiting on this offensive line, they're all four and five stars. But 38 sacks is a lot of sacks for an Alabama football team. This isn't the Alabama of old in the fact that they're going to steamroll you in those types of games you just mentioned. I'm interested to see how this game plays out. I've gone back and forth and back and forth as Michigan, you know, in for a a beatdown. I don't think it is. This this to me is the bigger dogfight of the two, in my opinion. Am I crazy there? No, I I don't think you're crazy there. And and when you look at again going back to the trenches of this game, and this Alabama defense is is really really good, and they've got some All-Americans and some first-round talents all over the defense, which I know is not uh, a rarity for for an Alabama defense. But, you know, if you look at weaknesses for Michigan, Michigan's offensive tackles have been the weak point of their offensive line recently. You you put that against Alabama has two elite edge rushers and another linebacker that was a converted edge rusher. So J.J. McCarthy, Michigan's quarterback, if you've got if he's repeatedly escaping the pocket, that's going to throw off his rhythm, especially if Alabama is having success and press man coverage, which I mm-hmm. think they will. And that is, as we've talked about ad nauseum on the show, that is a staple of a Nick Saban defense. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting on the perimeters, though, if you want to get outside of the trenches. I don't think that Michigan will be able to create any mismatches on the perimeter. They haven't played anywhere near a, of a complete as as complete of a secondary as Alabama with two elite cornerbacks, one of the best safeties in football, multiple solid depth players. Michigan's going to have to rely on the run game here, and, and I'm not exactly going out on a limb there. They're going to have to sustain drives, and they've done very well at that so far, but they have not had to do that and done it successfully being so handicapped in their passing game, which I think they will be in this game. I agree with you. I agree with everything you just said. So, Thomas, with all that being said, I know we're, we're kind of burning through this one quickly, but, I mean, I think we hit the big points. To me, what Michigan can do to confuse and, and get to Milrow is going to be a big part of this. Like you just mentioned, can Alabama's edge rushers get the the Michigan quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, on the run and having to break up that timing routes that he likes to throw so with all that being said, I feel like it's a good matchup. It, it, you know, if you had to lay money down, where where are you laying it? You know, who who's coming out on top here? 
Yeah, this is this is Bama because I, I firmly believe in, and I, and I don't want a uh, spoiler alert here. Yeah, I think this is this is Bama's year. I think when you're you're go- we're going to have a Bama Texas rematch. And honestly, if you go back to I think it was the Iron Bowl when Bama had that fourth and three hundred mm-hmm. yard yep. conversion mm-hmm. to win yep. the game, that's when I said, you know what, Alabama's got that voodoo. Alabama has that voodoo this year to mm-hmm. win it all. And so, yeah, I think. I don't think Alabama's going to blow Michigan out of the water, but I think they're going to have this game handled for the for for the most part. It's never really going to be in doubt, and it's going to be a good crockpot second half. I'm interested to see. I'm also would lean. I think Bama wins this, but this this feels like to me now. <clears throat> again, Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach, at least the top three best ever. Would you agree with that? If not yeah, number one, sure. I mean, yeah. you know he. He's done amazing things. I'm wondering, are we going to see a return to the Alabama of old? And we're going to tell our quarterback, you can't lose the game for us. We're going to put you in positions. You know, this is the old school. I'm talking about back in the day when Greg McElroy was quarterback and they were just saying, hey, we're going to hand it off or we're going to give you easy throws and your jobs to not put us in bad positions, not give the other team the ball. And if they try that, can they be successful? You mentioned that huge conversion in the Iron Bowl. That was magical. Like you said, they had that that voodoo, if you will. But, you know, Milrow is not Tua. Milrow no. is not Jalen Hurts. Milrow's not even Mac Jones. And, and, and it's or he hasn't been. I'm not trying to disparage the kid. I just think he's had big games. But he the biggest two games of the year, Texas – and Georgia were not his best games. Now, they beat Georgia, but they lost to Texas. So it's just going to be interesting. And the big difference there was he had two turnovers at Texas, two interceptions. Could the the interception bug bite him? That's why I think Nick Saban might tell Tommy Reese and his offense, hey, y'all don't put the ball in danger. We're going to out-athlete him. We're going to crock-pot him, like you said. We're going to bunch him, punch him, punch him, body blow, body blow, body blow. And then all of a sudden, we're going to hit him with a right hook, and they're going to go down. And yeah. so I, I feel like that's what we're going to see out of this. And if that is what happens and they keep the ball and they don't turn it over, I see Bama getting the victory here, which takes us to the Sugar Bowl, the 845 kickoff, like Thomas and I said, late for a school night. Come on. Texas Longhorns playing against the Washington Huskies. The line here is Texas minus four. Thomas, an interesting thing that I was looking around when I was researching a lot of pundits, a lot of experts, a lot of sites would say Texas's biggest advantage is at wide receiver versus the, the Washington DBs. But they also would say Washington has a major advantage at quarterback and wide receiver, given that Texas's defense is ranked 95th in pass defense in the nation. Do we have a boat race on our hands here, Thomas? You could because you said so. What are they? Ninety what in pass defense? Ninety fifth. Yeah, and and Texas and also ninety third in passing yards allowed. Um, but Texas does have the third, the third ranked rushing defense. I mean, I know that Texas can be picked on through the air, and they really just haven't faced a quarterback capable of doing it in quite a while this season. Mm-hmm. But we've seen this too many times in the postseason. Texas is better and deeper in the trenches on both sides, and not much else, not much else, including a better quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., matters with a long layoff like this. 
Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree with you. So in to get into scheme here for a second, Thomas, Texas often our head coach and offensive coordinator, if you will, Steve, and I'm gonna butcher it, Sarkeesian. Sarke- no, you got it, man. You it. It. I, I usually stick to Stark for that very reason, just because yeah. I, I don't want, but his offense, Thomas, is something I've studied and I really enjoy. I'm gonna um give so this came from burntorangenation.com. This was good a site. good site. Good site. I like it. Breakdown of of his offense when he was at Alabama. So they were giving the the Texas fans what he, they could see, and they run a lot of this same stuff. So Thomas it was really interesting to me. <clears throat> First of all, he likes to use a varied run game. He wants to run the ball as much as he's seen as this spread throw it all over the yard type guy ultimately steve wants to he wants to run the ball but he he used a varied scheme inside zone outside zone power counter but they have rpos off of everything in that situation and then sometimes they're going to make it look like an rpo when it's just a straight up pass play action pass one of my favorite parts of his scheme it's a inside zone matched up with a one route speed out rpo it's quite simple here, Thomas. To the short side of the field, they've got a wing as a a, a, a tight end off the line and the X wide receiver. And all okay. the quarterback is reading. He's in the shotgun. Uh, running back's offset to his right. He's going to run that cross motion where he's going to stick the ball in his gut. And he's not even reading the linebacker or anything. He is looking at the strong safety. Does the strong safety come down to stop the run? He's pulling it out and he's throwing a speed out. If that Mm -hmm. safety sits back to try and take off the top, to try and keep up that big run or that big pass, he's handing it off. The other two, it's a one-receiver route. It's a one-man read and a one-receiver route. The two wide receivers to the other side, which is usually how they do this, they're blocking. They are not running a route. So he is literally either handing it to that guy on inside zone or he's throwing a speed out to the X, or to the Z, I should say. I love that. It's super simple. It's easy. It looks, and he says, we dress it up with motions. We do a lot of stuff there. Another big thing they're going to do here, they like to call it their glance RPO. Same situation. They're going to run. They might run a power out of this where you've got to fold on that wing. He's going to fold in as that wraparound block. And now the Z is going to run at the corner. If the corner keeps outside leverage, he's glancing him to go to more Mm -hmm. of a post. And the same situation, same situation. If that safety comes down, He's pulling it out of his gut. He's throwing it to him. If he sits back, he's giving it to the running back on the power. I mean, just simple football. Simple, one read for your for your quarterback. They'll, he'll take that then, and he calls these his RPO illusion pass plays, where it looks like he's reading, but he's not. He's, he's going to give you that freeze motion, and it's a true full-field read. I'll show you this, Thomas. I'm going to send you this link, and fans, I'll put this on this link to burnorangenation.com's breakdown here into our um, Twitter page so you can see what I'm talking about here. It's just easy football. And then when they go into their true drop back passing, he likes to use crossers, deep crossers. If you're going to play a a one high safety, he's going to have two guys cross in front of that safety's face, and he's got to pick one, and whichever one he picks, he's wrong. Conflict. Conflict football. I like it. And then he's got the one of his favorite routes is that wide receiver it's not really the wheel. It's more of the rail. So the wheel kind of has more of a, a little bit of a up and out type motion to it. This is just a straight up. He's getting to the sideline going. It's almost like he's running toss, but he doesn't have the ball. He's just going down the sideline. They call that their rail route. He says, Sartesian says, the running back's your least defended pass receiver. So he wants to use that. Another easy read, but he will fulfill full 
field read that beautiful on the deep on the offense that's so easy for a texas quarterback if he can get time to see all those things is why they're killing it on offense right now thomas it's it sounds so easy it sounds because it is because it is i think back to some of south carolina's offensive coordinators not to digress into a gamecock conversation that's easy i look at one guy i look at one guy and i guarantee if you got a young quarterback that full field read, that true drop back, that's not in the game plan a whole lot. You get an experienced kid, he is going to get the more of the, the full field situation. But somebody else is going to get that one read. Does a strong safety come up? I throw the route. If he sits back, I give it to the running back. Shit, conflict football. It's easy. One guy. I like it. He does one thing, he's wrong. No matter what he does, that's, that's a good offensive philosophy. It's like running the option, Thomas. I know I always go back to it. But whatever that pitch man does, he's wrong. If he jumps on one guy, he's getting the, the ball's going to the other. It's just extension of that mentality. Love that. On, on Washington's side, Thomas, I saw an interesting article here. Let me make sure I give the – this is from The Athletic. It was um, from this October, October the 12th. It was written – trying to find the byline here. Can't find it at the moment. I'll post this one as well. Talking about the differences between the Washington offense and what makes it innovative versus the Tennessee offense, where the Tennessee offense is all about explosiveness and speed to get you off guard. The Washington offense is about efficiency. They want to create in every single play, they want to create horizontal stretches for your underneath defenders and vertical stretches for your deep defenders. And okay. put you in a bind. Again, it's old geometry football of the West Coast offense in a way. Eric, Eric Cordell back in the old days with the Chargers, there's too much space for the defense to defend everybody. You stretch them vertically. You stretch them horizontally. They're screwed. Phil Longo at North Carolina, now at Wisconsin, has the same philosophy. It's a thing of beauty. And then their third major idea is that they're going to master individual route running. They are going to be great route runners and put you in a bind. Thomas, I say all that to say, as a defensive-minded guy, and I know you've got some points you want to hit on both sides of the ball, on a defensive-minded guy, if either side of the ball, either side of the uh, the sideline here, as a defensive coordinator, you got to be going, shit, what do we do? Like, yeah. I mean, is it just is the answer in your mind? Because I guess thinking it from my mind, I'd be thinking the only thing we can do here is get pressure. And, uh, you know, that, that messes everything up. If we can get to the quarterback before he wants me, maybe I can – disrupt everything i don't know yeah because I, I think i think what this game really comes down to if you want to put it on one side of the ball is can washington slow down that texas defensive line long enough to get the ball out and i don't know if they can honestly right. from from uh, from texas's standpoint they've got to be really efficient with the ball because this washington defense is is very smart uh ball hawking i mean and they they you know, mob to the ball, like you've got to be smart with it. They force turnovers. You got to hold on to the ball. So I, I think, yeah, if I'm if I'm Washington defensively, it's about forcing turnovers. If I'm Texas defensively, it's about letting the big uglies up front, push it into the backfield and just disrupt everything Washington wants to do on offense. Right. I agree with you. And because Washington, you're exactly right. Washington wants to throw this football. They're not a running team. Uh Pinnock's through for 4,218 yards this season, uh, 33, three, 33 touchdowns against nine interceptions. You know, and he is an athletic guy, but he's not necessarily looking to run the ball either. Nah. You know, he he's not going to try. This season, he rushed for 239 yards total, 
and they gave up 31 sacks. So no, that's, I'm sorry, that's for his career. I'd have to figure that out later. But my point being, they, they want to throw this thing. They want to throw this thing. So you're exactly right. Washington's got to be able to hold up that pass rush of Texas. And if they can't, they're in trouble. So with all that being said, Thomas, who you got here? I, I think, again, going back to my spoiler from earlier, I think I think this is Texas's game. I think I think the the front four is just going to win this for them. Uh, I love Penix, and I've talked about them a lot. I like Washington. I think Washington belongs here in this game, and I think they're going to put up a hell of a fight. But uh, I think my money is on Texas here, and it's going back to that Bama-Texas rematch that I'm really fired up about. I agree with you 100%. I, I got I got Texas winning this game. I'm like you. I like Michael, Michael Penix Jr., great quarterback, 6'3", 213. He's got the measurables. I just mentioned his stats. He's he's a he's a ball player. He's a straight ball player. Completed 65.9% of his passes this season. I mean, that's just strong. And by the way, he only was sacked 10 times this year. I finally found it. So, I mean, wow. much, you know, a, a very good guy of getting the ball out. He's getting the ball out, and he's only turned it over nine times in 12, 13, 14 games now. That's impressive. Um, So, you know, I agree with you. But, and we're not going to dive into this yet because this will be for next week's show, Thomas, but just as a a, a teaser, if you will, if it is what we predict, Alabama versus Texas, Texas beat them at home, kind of put Alabama in a tailspin to start that season off because you had me and everybody else, you included, going, ooh, this Bama team, I'm yeah. not so sure. And now they're going to get their second chance. I will we'll have to look this up if it comes to fruition, but I don't know that there's been very many teams that have beaten a Nick Saban coach team two year, two times in one year. No, as you said, I mean, he's the GOAT. And I always, always give a huge edge to Nick Saban when he has this much time to yeah. prepare. And I know people are going to say, well, if this is an F championship game, he only has a week to prepare. No, 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 no. He's already oh, faced yeah. this Texas team. That's right. You think he hasn't been preparing since then to possibly face them again? That's what right. makes him the GOAT. That's what makes him uh so amazing as a college football coach is because he's almost he's almost a savant and i really think something is wrong or, or different rather in some of these coaches brains in the way they work yeah. but he's got a file he's got the biggest binder in his office on texas and sarkeesian and, and let's not forget like you mentioned earlier sarkeesian worked for him he absolutely. knows how he calls offense absolutely like i'm never counting nick saban out for this no. game and Saban's got, and so do all teams now, but Saban's got that, just like everybody else, that army of analysts now. If yeah. you think he doesn't have a group already looking at Texas tape, you know, and Washington tape for that matter, like I promise you they won't sit down for their first staff meeting and go, okay, who's breaking down this tape? Who's breaking down this tape? Yeah. They've already a, got two two binders. Yeah, they got binders ready. All right, coach, here here we go. Yeah. Like, let's, let's get ready. And, I mean, I agree with you. You give Nick Saban a second shot at somebody, that's going to be something else. Well, all right, Thomas, this is a good one. Um, you know, we at the South Carolina – or excuse me, the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast, we do have social media at SAA football fan on X and Instagram. You can shoot us an email at SAA football fan at gmail.com. I will post the link to that burnt orange nation article, as well as that athletic article. Good stuff there. Always want to try and be a good responsible. I don't know if I can call myself a journalist, but whatever it is <laughs> I am uh, and, and give people credit where credit is deserved. That's the history major in me, always citing my sources. Thomas, before we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want to tell them. 
I hope that people enjoy finally some good football here. Let's not forget, everybody, this is our last gasp before a whole bunch of nothingness when it comes to football for us diehard college football fans. We've had a lot of seats and stems games here with the bowl season. So let's hope we get some some good, high-quality games this weekend and enjoy every minute of it. Don't take any of it for granted. Get some cold beer. Go to Twice the Ice. Get them cold. Get some good beverages and some good food, and let's enjoy some quality football this weekend. See ya. See ya.